0: Thank you, Mike and Strib. It is good uh, to be with you this morning. Um, as uh, Robert told you a minute ago, we're going to be in Psalms chapter 1, uh, chapter 131, uh speaking uh, from this text about community. Uh, We—I uh, I, I, had—it's I, not always like this. I wish I could say it's always like this, but I had um, one of the one of my one of these sweetest moments I've had in a long time with the Lord this morning. Uh, I started a reading plan uh, by uh, Robert McShane. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not, but uh, he's got a reading plan that takes you through the, through the Bible in a year, uh, and he's got you going through uh, different sections at the same time. So I'm in, I read a chapter in Genesis and then a chapter in Matthew and then a chapter in uh, Ezra and then a chapter in Acts, right? So that's what we're doing. And um, one of the things that God just uh, showed me this morning, is very relevant to what I'm going to say in just a minute, is it was so cool to think, in every one of those instances, like time passed, right? The things that were going on in Genesis chapter two, and the things that were going on in Acts chapter two, and the things that were going on in Ezra chapter two, uh, and Matthew, they had their moment, they had their things, and they all passed, but what was constant in each one of those was God was actively working out his, his purposes, right? Um, and uh, as we say at the beginning of a new year, um, it's it's fresh in our minds. Like everything that happened in 2020 was kind of it's still fresh, right? We can remember it. It's not in the distant past. Um, at the same time, we look forward. We're looking forward to the future. We're we're going to walk through a sermon series over the next uh, several weeks that kind of kind of relay the, the vision and mission to you that God has kind of impressed upon us, and and we are excited about those things. And but it was it was humbling and it was refreshing at the same time to be reminded right? The things of 2020 are going to fall away and they're going to pass, right? And, and they are doing that. They're going to even fall away out of our memory and out of sight. They're going to be history book material, right? And the things of even 2021 that we've got planned, they're, they're going to come, they're going to go. Those things, those concerns, those worries that are going to be new to us in the next few months, um, they're going to pass as well. Um, but what is going to say constant is God and his purposes, God and his purpose to work and to do in his church for his glory and for our, our good. And, and we the, the idea behind this sermon series, why would, we, why would we call to your mind some men and women of old to, to speak into your life to help us understand God and his ways is because is he's constant back there as he is today. Right? And so we get to open up the word and, and hopefully show you and hopefully encourage you um, that the God that, was that Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew, Right, is the God that you and I get to meet with in the morning. Um, it's the God that we get to experience fellowship with, with today, and and He was speaking and revealing and teaching uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer His Word, right. And it, we get to we get to we get to benefit from the work of God that happened even decades ago, right. And so that's the, that's the idea here. And so uh, as always, though, our authority is the Scriptures, right. And so we want to we're not we're not here to just to relay you the ideas of Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We're here to relay to you the Word of God, right? And if we can learn from men and women of history, um, we, are, we are blessed. It is a gift, gift from God, Ephesians chapter chapter 4. So I'm going to turn your attention to Psalm 133, and I'm going to read it and then pray. Psalm 133, a song of ascent of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let us, let us pray. Father, we uh, bow before you, recognizing that you are king and you are Lord, and you've been there uh, from the beginning of time, and you will stay there um, into eternity and we come recognizing that we are sinful and you are holy. And so if you were going to do anything uh, on our behalf, it's going to have to come by way of grace. It's going to have to come by way of mercy. So we cry out to you. We ask that you would uh, do something good this morning, that you, would, that you would sanctify your people, that you would encourage your people, that you would build us up in love through the preaching and teaching of, of your word, that we would be transformed uh, this morning, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray, Amen. Uh, as I've said uh, and, and kind of mentioned, is that today the kind of the person we're looking at um, or hearing from or, or looking to is, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was he was born in February on February fourth, nineteen o six. Right, so that's that's six years into the twentieth century and six years before Titanic. Titanic sunk, all right? Um, that's, the, that's the time frame. Um, he, he was born into a family of great wealth and great stature. Um, he, he came from a very prominent family, a family of great minds. Um, this is a guy that over his lifetime, he, he hung out with guys like Karl Barth. And you may not know him, but he has influenced the way that you think, all right? He is a philosopher, um, and he's a theologian. Uh, he, he had interactions with handwritten letters to Gandhi. Right? This is a man who, who was in the high ranks in Germany as the Nazis were taking, taking power. Um, Hitler knew Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Right? Um, and so this is a man who had great prominence, his family, great prominence. Right? Um, very, very wealthy wealthy man. He's born in two. Um, at eight years old, the World War I hit. Right? At eight years old, World War I uh, began. It commenced. Um, in that time frame, Germany experienced great suffering just like most most uh, nations did. Right? And it hits particularly home with Dietrich Bonhoeffer when his older, one of his older brothers passed away in year three of the war, 1917. Um, his brother passed away. But, but in that, that storm of his life, we get a glimpse of the kind of family that he had. We get a, we get a glimpse into the parents and what they thought and how they saw the world um, in just the funeral even of, of his older brother. His, his mom, Bonhoeffer's mom, Paula, she selected lyrics for her son's funeral that, that say this. What God has done, it is well done. His will is always just. Whatever he will do to me, in him I'll ever place my trust. You see, Bonhoeffer had a, not only a great stature, great wealth, but he had a family. He had a parents who were very rich in their trust and in their belief even in that painful time, you see Bonhoeffer saw his parents trust and praise God, even as, as they lost their son, right? They didn't, they didn't hide away. They didn't push God out of it and disconnect God from their pain and sorrow. No, they looked at God and said, you have brought this, right? And in it is going to be something good. In it, you are still worthy of our trust. It, it is this confidence that Bonhoeffer saw that would become his own, um, he saw his mom's confidence, trust, and, and the ability to praise God in the midst of great pain and suffering, right? That, that confidence eventually became his own confidence, and he was going to need it. He was going to need it because he was going to live a life of, of suffering. I mean, he was going to live a life that, that actually cost him all of his wealth, right? And eventually it would cost him his life at the command of Hitler. Hitler was going to have Bonhoeffer executed, but through it all, we're going to see that, that through it all, he, he trusted, he held on to this ability to trust with confidence the goodness of God, and it, it came with a, ability to praise God even as he, uh, he faced the gallows. Um, Bonhoeffer had a, had a weird understanding of death, and he attributed it to this belief in God's goodness. Um, Bonhoeffer said this, those who believe, this confidence of God gave him this homesick waiting and looking forward to joyfully, To be released from bodily existence right this belief this confidence that god was doing these glorious things it made him homesick to leave this world and go to be with god um it was not hatred of this world it was not bonhoeffer going hey this world is terrible and i want to leave it but this expectation that there was glory there was something so fantastic awaiting him that he would rather leave here and go there than remain we see this when he says this in one of his sermons death is hell It's night and cold if it is not transformed by our faith. But that is just what is so marvelous. It is marvelous that we can transform death. How do we transform death? Early in the sermon, he gives us us that. He says, death is only dreadful for those who live in dread and fear of it. Death is not wild and terrible if only we can be still and hold fast to God's word. Death is not bitter if we have not become bitter ourselves. Death is grace, the greatest gift of grace that God gives to people who believe in him. Death is mild, death is sweet and gentle. It beckons to us with heavenly power if only we realize that it is the gateway to our homeland, the tabernacle of joy, the everlasting kingdom of, of peace. That's a weird view of death, right? That is not the way we look at death. Um, this was not just religious speak for Bonhoeffer. This was not just Bonhoeffer engaging in, in this, this talk sometimes that we have. We talk about heaven. I mean, all those things. No, this was, this was reality for Bonhoeffer. Um, um, later, if, you, if you, you may know the story of Bonhoeffer, you may not, but he was part of a conspiracy to, to assassinate Hitler. You can learn a little bit about that assassination plot in the movie Valkyrie, right? which was recently uh, published or put forward. And at the end of it, uh, Hitler actually orders the execution of him and several others. And, and he was in prison for a period of time right up to his, to his death. And, and we get a couple of witnesses testify to how Bonhoeffer faced death. One of his prison mates said this, Bonhoeffer, had the, the more, this is the morning that he was executed. Bonhoeffer had hardly finished his last prayer when the door opened, the door to the cell. And two evil looking men in civilian clothes came in and said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer? Get ready to come with us. Those words come with us for all prisoners. They had come to mean um, one thing only, the scaffold. We bade him goodbye. He drew me aside and he said this, this is the end, Bonhoeffer said, for me, the beginning of life. The prison doctor, the, doctor, the German doctor that worked in the camp that Bonhoeffer was, was imprisoned, he said this about Bonhoeffer. On the morning of that day between five and six o'clock, the prisoners were taken from their cells and the verdicts of the court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. You see, Dwanhofer had this confident trust in God. And this confident trust not only affected the way that he died, as we see, but it also affected the way that he lived. When death becomes a gateway into all that is good pleasant and glorious than doing hard things things that subject one's life to to risk are no longer a risky endeavor when fear of death is removed obedience is not only possible it is prioritized bonhoeffer observed this only the believer is obedient and only he who obeys believes Bonhoeffer's life was, was radically, both in his death, and as we'll see in a second, in his life, was radically transformed. It was affected by this confident hope that God was doing things, even in this, in this messy world, right, that were glorious and would last into eternity. And we will be affected in, the, in a similar way. Right? What I hope to learn from and show you from Bonhoeffer is how this, this reality does not only affect the way that we look at death and the way that we die, but it affects how we live today as we wait, right? Between birth and death, it affects us even now. Bonhoeffer equated obedience to two things. Obedience, living by the Sermon on the Mount, and living in the context of Christian community. He said this this idea, this hope, this confidence we have in God should affect us, and it should look like Christians living out the Sermon on the Mount in the context of Christian fellowship, in 1935, he, Dr. Bonhoeffer made a massive decision. He, he was uh, uh, part of the church in Germany, right? And between World War I and World War II, you, you got the Nazis coming to, to power. And in, 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 that, uh, in that coming to power, the church was in all kinds of turmoil in Germany. Um, in, one, in one instance, Bonhoeffer left and take a pastorate in, in London, but while he was in London, he, he was wrestling with what, is, what does it mean for me to, to serve God and my people back in, in Germany? So eventually God, God led him and he surrendered to go back into uh, Germany to lead an illegal seminary, right? To, to put forward an experiment. He, wanted, he said, I, I want to take this, this idea of living out the Sermon on Mount in the context of Christian fellowship and I want to apply myself to it. In a letter to his brother, Dietrich said, announced his intentions to, to pursue this thing with all of, his, all of his effort and resources. He said this to his brother, I think I am right in saying that I would only achieve true inner clarity and honesty by really starting to take the Sermon on the Mount seriously. The restoration of the church must surely depend on a new kind of monasticism, which has nothing in common with the old, but a life of uncompromising discipleship, following Christ according to the Sermon On the Mount. I believe the time has come to gather people together and do this. So Bonhoeffer said, Hey, I believe in this hope of the future glory, but it it impacts me now. And he had come to the conclusions that it was obedience to this this Sermon on the Mount, this lifestyle, this definition of discipleship lived out in the context of, of other believers. And he said, I'm going to go pursue after this in Germany. I'm going to go back to my people and I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to pursue this there. It started, this community that he was, he was building, began with 24 men, him and 23 three others. They, they started on an island, island called Zingst, right? Z-I-N-G-S-T. It was a bitterly cold island in the Baltic Sea. Um, after two months, they moved to a more permanent place called Fink... I can't pronounce it, okay? Finkenwald, all right? And for two years, he meticulously did this. They, I mean, they, had a, they had a daily schedule that they did. Um, it, w- it was a meticulous, very disciplined thing these 24 men went through. Um, at the end of it, he, he kind of, through these two years of putting it into practice, and through these two years of, of reflecting on Christian community and living out the Sermon on the Mount, he wrote two books. Um, one of those is called Life Together, and one of those is called The Cost of Discipleship. We, uh, in a life together, he talks about Christian community. What does it look like? What does it mean? What is it? And what is our role and how do we participate in it? And the cost of discipleship, he comments on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, what does it look like for me as an individual to apply these teachings of, of Christ? You see, Bonhoeffer had a great passion for God's people. And he saw that the only thing that was going to last was this community that God was putting together here in the present was going to continue on into eternity as everything else passed away. On the other side of death would be this people of God, this community, this fellowship in which we will continue to participate. Um, in, the, in the book, Life Together, he begins with the psalm that I just read, Psalms 133. Psalm 133. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in community. Um, to the rest of the time, I want to talk about Psalms 133 and not so much about Bonhoeffer, right? But in this, we're going to see a couple of things. I'll give you just kind of the structure of the rest of our time. Three truths about life together. Three truths about this community that God is, that God is putting together. We are, we are an example of it. We are a fragment of that. We are an expression of this community, um, the church, the local church um, here in this place. Three truths about this life together and then a several or a few instructions um, for us today. I'm gonna to turn your attention back to Psalms 133, verse one. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. The first truth we see is that this life together is indeed good and, good and pleasant. I mean, in this, in this uh, Psalm, you need to understand what we're coming to, is you're coming to a psalmist who is mid-pleasure, right? He's not thinking about this, this, the good old days, Right? And he's not looking forward to these things that might occur in the future. This is a man who, who, is, who is currently experiencing something good. And he's calling us to join in. He's calling us to participate. He's saying, look, behold, see, experience, taste what I am tasting, experiencing, and, 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 and seeing. He is an invitation to participate in this thing that is good and pleasant. And that thing that is good and pleasant is the brothers dwelling in unity, um, in, the, in the Hebrew, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, right? So I have to look at other people and they have to tell me, they give me insights, right? In the Hebrew language, the word unity is not there. It simply is just brothers dwelling together. Um, we do not know the occasion of this. We don't know what the occasion is exactly, why this psalm, when this psalm was written or, or who, where, what was going on in the life of David. Um, but but what, we, what we can say with pretty much certainty is that it came at the end or the resolution of one of the many conflicts within Israel. Um, My my guess is, along with several others, is that it happened, if you remember the story of of Israel, God God anointed Saul to be king. And Saul was king for quite a while, but Saul disobeyed God, and so God anointed David to, to, to be his successor, right? And eventually Saul died in battle. And what happened is there was a group that decided to follow David. And there was a group that decided to follow one of Saul's descendants. And there was a great division amongst God's people. And God's people began to war with one another. They were going to fight it out. Who was, who was going to be the king of, of all? But through God's providence, through God's elevating David, uh, through a, a string of events, right, the, the, the group, the, the nation was united Right? without the violence and the bloodshed. And so here, what we believe, whether it was this instance or another, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter, but what the psalmist is looking at, is he's looking at the people who were divided, and they are united, and the psalmist is saying, I am pleased, it brings me great pleasure and enjoyment to see God's people, and to experience God's people dwelling in unity. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer experienced some of the same things. Right, The church in Germany was experiencing great division. There was a lot of threats to uh, Christian fellowship. One was conservatism versus liberalism, which is one that we we, we battle this today, right? This is what uh, Eric Metaxas, who wrote a great book on Bonhoeffer, said about uh, how Bonhoeffer was known. Bonhoeffer advocated a Christianity that seemed too worldly for traditional Lutheran conservatives and too pietistic for theological liberals. He was too much something for everyone, so both sides misunderstood and criticized him, right? But uh, we're not gonna dig into that, but the point is this, there was, there was these things that threatened unity in the body. Um, the second is, was pacifism, right? So you had World War I, and, and the, Germany was very patriotic people. And so when World War II came back around, there was a great push in the church to, to rise up and help uh, defend and carry on the goals of Germany. And there was a group in the church that was, hey, Christians shouldn't engage in, engage in war. That was Bonhoeffer. And so there was this great uh, threat to Christian unity. Should the church participate? Should they take up uh, the cause of Germany and go to war? I mean, it, it came back up in uh, Bonhoeffer's life later. Should Christians rise up and plot to assassinate Hitler, who was murdering Jews? Should Christians step back and and should they pray and and accomplish, use other means? The church was divided. They wrestled with these issues and they threatened the church's fellowship, nationalism. There was a group in the church, believe it or not, in Germany that thought there was the, 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 the concerns and the goals of Germany were equal to the concerns and goals of the church. Nation's prosperity and well being was equated to the church's prosperity and well being. And there were others who said, no, that's not, that's not the way that it is. There are some things in the church, there are priorities in the church that are not consistent with the priorities of Germany. You see, there was this, this, this constant threat to fellowship in the church. Um, we experience that too, don't we? Right? There are constant threats to our fellowship, even currently mask or no mask, right? Or even, even just more generally, how we, how we approach the, the pandemic. How, 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 should we go to school or not go to school? Should we meet publicly or should we not meet publicly? Should we get vaccinated or should we not get vaccinated? There are things that threaten us, Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, alcohol, abstinence or moderation, what about role of women in the church? What about how we parent? I didn't realize how, how, how divisive parenting can be until I became one, right? Should the mother do this, or should the mother do that? Should we do this with our children, or should we do that with our children? Should we let our kids play with something in the service, or should we not let our kids play with something in the service, right? There, there's all kinds of things to divide our fellowship over. When I was growing up, it was KJVism, right? The King James Version is the only true Bible. And then there were those who said, no, there's actually, there's there's, there's some others that can be useful. Women and men's apparel and appearance, right? Threatened the fellowship of the church. Worship wars. What kind of music can we or can we not listen to? Which ones can we use in worship and which ones can we, can we not? Other examples that threaten fellowship, this community of believers, right? Past offenses. Ever been offended? Right? Have you ever been? Have you ever been wounded? See, there's all kinds of things threatening the church's fellowship and unity. This is this is so typical of our existence, right? Our 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 world is is naturally divided and fragmented. It, it is full of rivalry and hostility and war. But this is the the norm, so Christian fellowship, unity, joy-filled, loving community is actually the exception in our experience. It is not the norm. It is not the norm. Unity, peace, love, and togetherness are constant ideals that that we are seeking after. You you could probably think of maybe the, the political party, or you could probably think of the social movements that you even oppose, and they would say they're all following after or trying to achieve the same thing. What are they trying to achieve? More love, more peace, more unity, better community. They all just have different solutions and identify different problems keeping us from achieving it. Our world is constantly seeking these things and yet they are constantly falling short of achieving them. Amazingly, in spite of all their efforts, we we remain fragmented and we remain divided and unfortunately, the same is true in the church same is true here while christ is busy building the church up in love the enemy whether a physical man or woman a, a demonic spirit the powers of darkness or satan himself all are conspiring to divide and destroy war is being waged on the community of faith you see god is building the enemy even my own sin is raging war on this fellowship. It is good and pleasant, but it is the exception and not the norm. The psalmist and Bonhoeffer call us to behold, to experience, to take pleasure in the church and the fellowship of God's people. They call us to find in the church those things so elusive, but yet so coveted by the world. They call us and tell us where to go is to look at the people of God. Truth number two about this life together is life together is God's gift to his people. Uh, there's three textual proofs in, in our text. There's three verses here. There's, there's three things that point us to this. The, the psalmist through poetry is kind of yelling it at us, right? This, this, this blessed unity fellowship community that he's experiencing and seeing is the gift of God. The first one is the oil on the head, Psalms 130 or 133 verse 2. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. On the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. The first one is the oil on the head it is like precious oil. This was the way God marked His people. It was it was the way that God set them apart. Aaron was the first high priest. And God is saying, hey, I, I am marking you as my chosen vessel. I'm setting you aside for my purposes, and I am distinguishing you from everybody else. And so, so what the psalmist is saying here is, is this community, this joy-filled fellowship, this joy-filled unity is God's marking of his people to say you are distinct and from all others. This is my bestowing upon you a, a mark, a sanctifying distinction between you and the world. Where is this community everybody is looking for? It's right here in the church, and these are my people. Number two is the dew on the mountain. The dew on the mountain. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. We don't, we don't understand the necessity of how they looked at this dew, but they lived in an agri- agrarian culture. They had to grow crops, right? They had to have the, 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 the ground watered. Right? And so they were constantly depending upon God to do it. If he didn't do it, they didn't have food. And what he is saying here is this, this community is God's provision and blessing and favor upon his people. The, the third comes at the very end, and, and at the very end he, he states explicitly what the others two tell us Poetically. He says, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Why, why is the community, why is this life, this, this unity, this fellowship, this joy-filled love, why is it experienced in the church? It is because God has placed it there. It is because God has bestowed it on this people as, as a gift. And we, we learn this from uh, the psalmist in this, in this reality that God has given it to us. We learn that it, this community is a reality that is to be participated in rather than ideal, which we pursue after. You see, the world is seeking it. They're saying, hey, if we do X, Y, and Z, we'll be able to achieve this, this thing that we're all trying to reach. And what we learn from the scriptures is that, no, this, this, this community is, is one that already exists, and it is extended down to the church. Um, it is not to be created or achieved. It already exists. It exists in the Trinity, the Bible tells us that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they exist in perfect love and perfect harmony and, and perfect joy. This community, as we, we can never achieve it, we will never build it, we will never create it. It is only to be received and participated in. Um, thankfully, God extends this, this community, this relationship, this unity, this fellowship to his people. We see it in Adam and Eve. We see it in, the, in Abraham and Israel and we see it in Jesus and the church. Bonhoeffer, uh, he captures this in, in a few words. He says, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which me and you get to participate. The world seeks what Jesus has already accomplished. He has accomplished it in the gospel. The Bible tells us that God has sent his son and Christ at the cross has reconciled us to God. He has has made peace. He has broken down the wall of hostility. These These are things that God has done and they are real and they exist. They are not us trying to create or achieve or build it. This world seeks what Jesus has already accomplished. Christian community means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. There is no Christian community that is more than this, and none that is less than this. Whether it is a brief single encounter um, or the daily community of many years, Christian community is solely this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. What does that mean, Bonhoeffer asks? It means first that a Christian needs others for the sake of Jesus— it means, second, that a Christian comes to others only through Jesus. And it means, third, that from eternity we have been chosen in Jesus Christ, accepted in time, and united for eternity. Do you see, when, when we flip to the New Testament, we get a clearer picture of the good and pleasant community. We, we get a better picture and understanding of this community that the psalmist talks about in Psalms 30, 133. We see that it is, exists to exalt Christ. We see that it is made available um, through the death of Christ. And we see that it becomes the experience of those who have been adopted by Christ in grace. See, we, we must learn. The first one of the things we must understand about this, this fellowship that we have is that it is the work of God. It is not our work. We do a lot of things. We sing. We preach. We, we meet together and study the Bible. But you need to understand there's a big difference between us using these these means to achieve something, right, and then being the actions of a people who are participating in something that's already created. It is a gift to us. Third, life together is God's promise to the nations. Life together is God's promise to the nations. We see this again in the imagery. It's It's poetry. And the idea is this, this running. So you got the, the, the oil on the head of Aaron, and it's running down, right? It covers all of Aaron. And then in the second illustration, you see the, the dew on the mountain. and then Mount Hermon was, was, was the greatest mountain, right? It was the one that was very uh, big. It overshadowed all the others. And the idea is there's this dew on this big, large mountain that runs down onto the mountains of Zion. It spreads. And the psalmist is communicating to us that there's this community in the people of God, but it is expanding. It is is going out. The the oil and the dew, they run. We see this in the the example of Abraham. If you remember, God comes to Abraham and he he makes the promise to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, right? I'm going to make from you a nation of many, many sons. But the end of that, the one that maybe we kind of overlook, right, is that he's going to bless Abraham so that Abraham will bless Abraham. The nations. The the psalmist here in Psalms 133, he he is clinging to this promise. He looks at the people of God, the people that he's experiencing fellowship with, and he clings to this hope that it is going to not just remain here, but it's going to expand outward. It's going to grow. It's going to be used by God to to take the blessing that's here, the joy and the pleasure and the goodness that is known here in this people, and it's going to, to go to the nations. Uh, Bonhoeffer uh, sums this up uh, so so profoundly. According to God's will, the Christian church is a scattered people, scattered like seed to all the kingdoms of the earth. That is the curse and its promise. God's people must live in distant lands among the unbelievers, but they will be the seed of the kingdom of God in all the world. God says, I will gather them in for I have redeemed them. You see, Bonhoeffer and the psalmist of of 133 understood that that God was doing this work where he was going to bless a people, and from that blessed people was going to be an expansion in which all people come to know and experience this community and fellowship. This is what's going on. But again, once we turn to the New Testament, we get much greater clarity. You see, the, the community that this psalmist saw actually fell apart. And we learn in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the the other prophets that this people actually became a reproach to the nations. They were not a blessing. They were not a blessing. But God had another plan, and that plan was was Christ. You see, in Christ, Christ is the true Israel. He is the true son promised to Abraham. And in Christ, this, this true fellowship was going to be established. And through Christ, it is going to expand to the nations. See, that is the world in which, the time frame in which me and you live. God has established it here with us, and his intent is to bless us with fellowship and joy-filled community, and it is to extend outward to reach the nations. Between now and the end of time, we, God's people, we live scattered. We live, we live all over the place in the dark corners of, of the world, in places like TR and in China. But by his grace, we experience some taste of that goodness, that sweet and pleasant community and by his design this fellowship spreads to the world this is the will and the work of God and we are confident it will be successful it will be successful you see this community that God has built he's placed here, we believe he's, he's done that here at TC, TCBR it's good and it's pleasant we, we believe that it is the gift of God, it is not us, we did not achieve it we get to participate in it And we look forward. We we understand that that God's intent is to, to take this community that we know and enjoy and expand it outward to those who are seeking it. And we do so with great confidence. That should affect us in a few ways. It should instruct us in just a couple of ways. Number one, be grateful. Have you tasted the goodness and pleasantness of Christian community? I can, I can bear witness. I am thankful. I can bear witness of the fact that God has indeed blessed us. God has indeed and blessed the people of TCBR. We, we do get to enjoy a level of good and sweet fellowship. I'm, I've got to see it here recently as, as missional communities right, lined up in a parade right, to show the love and, and share the joy of Jesus Christ with, with a little boy in our, in our community who's got leukemia. That's, that's, that's God working in his people. I get to see it uh, weekly as, as dozens of you gather in cell groups and, and to pray together and to study the word together and to, and to enjoy fellowship to, together. Um, I get to see it when 20 and 30 and 40-year-old men and women right, get, get to enjoy communicating with and fellowshipping with and enjoy the presence of 60 and 70-year-old men and women. Folks, that's, that's, that's unusual. Right? That's a weird thing. That does not happen in the world. But God is, God, is, God is taking a world that is divided, and he's bringing it together, and he's blessing it, and from it comes great joy, and from it comes great goodness. I get to see it in corporate worship as, as we gather together here. We, we are not primarily here to serve serve God. We are here to, ante- to participate in, and we are here to enjoy God. Right? That's what we're doing. When we lift our voice to God as, as one, we are participating in the joy and the pleasure of the triune God. If it feels like duty, right, there's something wrong, and we should cry out to God and say, God, bless what we're doing so that we can participate in the goodness and the sweetness of your fellowship. I get to experience it. I got to experience it over the holidays, right, at, at uh, a Fats Cafe right, with the Barrett family. My family, their family. We got a little bit of conversation in there uh, over four girls, right? But we, we got to experience the goodness and the pleasantness of this, this fellowship that God is building. This is not the experience of many Christians, however. May we hear and obey the words of Bonhoeffer. Let those who until now have had the privilege of living a Christian life together with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of their hearts. Let them thank God on their knees and realize it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are still permitted to live in the community of Christians today. There's great, there's great trouble in the people of God when we spend more time complaining about this community rather than thanking God for our participation and experiencing it. I I know missional community can be difficult, right? It can be. We live in a broken world. We are are low on energy and resources. Sunday afternoon would be a great time for, for a nap. Those people in my missional community, sorry, those of you that are in my missional community, but sometimes they're hard to love, right? And it is really easy to complain about and bemoan what I think should be true about us rather than be grateful for the measure of goodness and pleasantness that comes from the community of God's people. It is very sobering to, to think that a lot of our brothers and sisters do not know and get to experience the privilege of what we have. Bonhoeffer had it for a while and he ended up in prison and he ended up executed. He reminds us that our Christ, our God, he, in the moment of his darkest hour, what did he walk through? He walked through loneliness and he walked through being abandoned. Elijah was even around other believers and what did Elijah say? God, I'm the only one left. He felt it. He felt the lack. He did not experience this, this, good, this good and pleasing fellowship and community. We need to be remember that we, are, we, we could be just one, one short instance where this fellowship that we enjoy and have is gone. And we ought to be a people grateful, and we ought to be thankful for the measure of goodness and pleasantness we know in this community rather than being known for our bemoaning it right, and our grumbling about it instruction number two be joyfully expectant this good and pleasant community has been achieved in Christ and it's expanding and so I have good news for each one of you it's going to get better Right? no matter where you, are. it may be the greatest it's ever been in your life your experience of, of community with God's people may be at its height right now. And you may be sitting in this service week in and week out and go home and feel like the most lonely and isolated person there is. And the good news for each one of us is that what we know today is not the end. It's getting better. It's moving forward. And this period of isolation or, or this period of, of, of disappointment by faith can be experienced even now in those moments where everything feels so wrong. Are you isolated? Do you know loneliness? If you are Christ, if you by faith are in Christ, this is just temporary for you. For the fullness of God's people will be experienced and known in the future. Like Christ, we may find ourselves friendless in the darkest of hours But resurrection is coming. Resurrection is coming. And we will wait the day together. We are around the throne of God with full joy and full pleasure and full experience of the goodness of God with the people of God. The third and final instruction, participate. Participate. Right now we live in a world with every reason to withdraw from the people of God. Every reason, whether it's to, to protect our family, right, from COVID-19, or whether it's to, to keep ourselves from being wounded again because last time we had jumped into community, we got wounded. Whether it's my, my, my kids are growing up and they're demanding more and more of my time and so our schedule is busy from Monday through Saturday and it's just hard to find time to invest in the people of God. We have every kind of reason to pull ourselves and withdraw away and check off the box of participating in corporate worship by coming and sitting and listening. And I want to challenge you. The community known by the people of God is good and it is pleasant and it is worthy of your participation. It will not disappoint and God will be glorified. Let Let us pray. Father, I thank you for Your word, I thank you for Christ. I thank you that through his death, through his body being um, broken and his blood being spilled, you have reconciled us to you. These these are things that are achieved and they are done. So God, I thank you for also its effects on us. I know the experience of fellowship with your people. I know the pain of of trying to live in community with people who are sinners. I know the the heartache of my own sin wounding and hurting other people. But God, even in the midst of all this brokenness, God, I I have experienced the the gracious gift of joy-filled fellowship with you and your people. And so God, I thank you for what I know I thank you for what the measure of grace that has been given. And I long for more. God, I, I come asking, I come pleading with you that you would, you would pour out your grace on TCBR, that we would experience a greater measure of this goodness and pleasantness that is the people of God dwelling together, unified in its, its passion for you and its, in, in your mission for this world. I ask that it would expand. I ask that we would be a city uh, on a hill that, that lights that shines a bright light out into this world that is looking. God, they they covet what is supposed to be found in the church. And so God may the world look around and, and see us unique, a people who love each other, a people who know joy in each other. A people united. God, may our love and passion and knowledge of you provide a unity, a oneness that overcomes all these other little things that threaten this community that you are building. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.